Good morning, church family. Morning. Aren't you glad that you came to church today? I, uh, I always, we are, right? We are. Everybody else is Memorial day out, like they're asleep today. Listen, I always enjoy starting off our time together in baptism. It's one of my favorite things to do in the life of Christ. You know, God gave us two ordinances to participate in as baptized believers, as Jesse stated a moment ago. And anytime we can come together as a body and participate in both ordinances, one of them being baptism, the other being communion, the Lord's Supper, um, it's always a really, really good day. I know it's Memorial Day weekend. We have a lot of people that are tuning in online. So for those of you who are tuning in, uh, we want to say hey to you and thank you for tuning in. Uh, but I want to start off by asking a rather ridiculous question, okay? Um, one that for some of you is going to bring back some bad memories. For others of you, you're not going to know what in the world I'm talking about, but Here's the question. How many of you remember the first time, if it's ever happened, how many of you remember the first time where you were either the driver or the passenger in a car that ran out of gas? Almost all of us, if we have experienced that, no matter if we were the driver or if we were the passenger, we can remember that very first time vividly. Some of you have done it multiple times, right? Um, shame on you, okay? Uh, all you got to do is ask some help. If, if, you need to, if you don't know how to pump gas, just ask somebody to help you. But I remember my first time that I was a passenger in a car that ran out of gas, and I was with my dad. Uh, my dad was driving a gray Oldsmobile Cutlass. And I remember I was probably about seven or eight years old. I have no clue where we were coming back from, but I remember we were going up a steep hill on Dunbar Road, and I heard him make a, a sound of annoyance, and I looked over at him as a little kid, trying to figure out what he was annoyed by, and he looks at me and just says, we're out of gas. And some of you know what that feeling is like when you're out of gas. So for here I was, I'm a seven, maybe eight years old little kid. I'm thinking, oh goodness, my life is over. Like, we're about to pull over on the side of the road, and I'm going to literally sit on the side of the road by myself in exile until the day of my death. Like, that's my thought. Like, we didn't have cell phones when I was seven or eight years old, um, so there was no one to call. Um, there, there was no way of getting to the gas station because there wasn't one right across the street, right? Um, and my view of life was limited then anyway. Um, so here I am, I'm truly thinking, we're going to be stranded on the side of the road, and I'm going to be left here to die. And I'm about a mile and a half from my house. And... One valuable lesson, I think, that the Lord, maybe, Dad, you taught me that day, um, is this. Things on empty don't work. Things on empty don't work. And some of you understand this because you've been in a car, either as a driver or as a passenger, and when the gas is on empty, the, ga the car is not going to work. But listen to me this morning. Much like a car needs to be refueled with gas to work properly, you and I need to be refueled as well to work properly. If you and I want to be effective in what the Lord has called us to do, it will require rest. It will require refueling. It will require us existing at least for a moment in solitude and quietness with the Lord Jesus Christ. The, sad reality really of our day is that we go and 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 we never stop at any point to just rest. We go and we go and we go and we never stop at any point just to refuel. So we personally, maybe we spiritually, maybe physically or even emotionally, we metaphorically run out of gas. 
And, and I bet if I polled our congregation today, that maybe half of you, if not more than even that, are in that specific state even today. You're tired, you're exhausted, you're worn out, you don't feel like you're effective at much, you don't feel effective at work, you don't feel effective at home, you don't feel effective in your missional mandate of going and making disciples, you feel like you're dropping the ball everywhere, you feel like maybe a failure today, and it's all because of one simple rhythm that you have chosen to neglect, and that is rest. When the Lord created the earth, he said it was all good. And then at the end of him creating it, what did he do? He took time to rest. He implemented for you and I as humanity, he implemented for us a day of Sabbath. A day where, it's not where we just sit on the couch and eat Cheetos and watch football all day, okay? That's not a Sabbath, all right? A Sabbath is truly where we get away from the rhythms of the world, where we isolate ourselves uh, you know, in a desolate place is probably the best way of saying it. And we really focus our hearts and our attention on God. And when we focus our hearts and our attention on God, he starts to refuel us. We reflect. Someone told me this a long time ago, and I'll never forget it. They said, you know, the, the old adage, um, you, you learn a lot through failure. You know how we say that? And he says, I really don't believe that you learn a lot through failure. You learn a lot through the reflection of failure. When you fail and you reflect on why you failed, that's when you start to grow. Otherwise, if you don't reflect on why you failed, you're just going to fail again the next time. So reflection is good for your soul. And I remember him saying that. I was like, that makes sense to me. But it's the same thing is true in our spiritual lives. Like if we don't ever take time to just reflect on who God is and what God has done, even over the course of the last six days, we will not be effective the next six days before our next period of rest. So we're going to be talking about that this morning. If you remember the day, Sunday after Easter, we started a new series called Seven Choices. And we said the whole point of this series is to help you and I go from good intentions to good decisions. And we said that if we would just implement these seven decisions, these seven choices in our lives, they would ultimately lead us to life transformation. The foundational verse for this series was Proverbs chapter 2, Verse 11, where it says, wise choices will watch over you. Understanding will keep you safe. And in the context of Proverbs chapter 2, the only thing that the author of Proverbs is trying to do is to get my heart and your heart in tune with God. He wants to align our lives, the rhythms of our lives, with the rhythm of his word. So today, we're going to be concluding that series. This is the seventh choice that you and I need to make that will lead to life transformation, and today we're going to be talking about the importance of choosing to rest. Choosing to rest. We all need rest, don't we? Some of you, if you're honest, you need rest more than others. Some of you, whether you need rest or not more than others, you're going to get more rest than others, right? My wife, literally, no joke, when we got to church today, took a 15-minute nap. She set her alarm. She said, I hope I wake up. If you don't see me in church, come find me. That's the truth. Some of you, she loves to sleep. She loves it. Um, so some of you are like that. You're going to go home today. You're going to take a nap. And don't feel guilty about that. Don't feel shameful about that. Like, you need to rest, you know what it's like to exist in a fast-paced world where everything is demanding your time and demanding your energy and demanding your attention. And for just a moment, if you have 15 minutes, you're going to find a place to 
rest. We went to Israel, and while we were in Israel, we had to wake up at the wee hours of the morning. We didn't get done until almost late at night, and we were going to bed on little hours of sleep, but we literally walked in those, what, nine days, we literally walked like 57, 58 miles, okay? And it wasn't like yesterday's weather. Like, it was hot many of those days, and we're in the desert many of those days, and it was exhausting, and we were tired. And I remember getting back from Israel, and Kayla kept telling me that her eye was twitching, right? And her eye, we were looking up, why is my eye twitching? And it's because she's tired. Uh, now, it's still twitching three weeks later, um, and I told her, that's not jet lag. Like, jet lag don't last three weeks. You can't use that excuse anymore. Um, but anyway, you know what it's like. So some of you, that's how tired you've been. Like, you are so tired that literally your body is responding to your fatigue. But the truth is, is on the heels of Memorial Day, a day where you have off, a day most of you have off, a day where you can find rest, a day where you can reflect on who God is and what God has done to you, I feel like this is a timely time to talk about the importance of choosing rest in our lives. Here's what I've learned. What I've learned in life is that you cannot give what you do not have. You can't give what you do not have. We were talking in a conversation with our girls last night, and one of my girls, my second daughter, she had basically said, well, I'm going to give you 500 bucks. She was talking to one of the grandparents, and at the end of the day, I was thinking, my head, no, she ain't, she ain't got it. <laughs> and she can't give it because she doesn't have it. And we have to learn this lesson in our lives. For many of us, we're trying to put out much more than we're putting in. And because we're putting out so much, our bank account has depleted spiritually. We are exhausted and we have no more to give the church. We have no more to give the world. We don't function effectively. And that's the goal of today. Is I want us to look at our lives physically and emotionally and even spiritually and I want us to check the gauge okay I want us to see if the gauges aren't empty some of you you press the limits you know this the gauge on your car hits empty gets close and you got zero miles to go and you just want to see how far you can ride it out I know who you are some of you do that right it's not good to do that with your spiritual life your emotional life like I want us to check the gauge and I want us to refill our tank over the next few days. So that's where we're going. If you have your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6 is a passage of scripture that I revert to almost yearly, okay? So if you've heard this before, uh, some of you have, if you've heard this from me, um, just know that I revert back to this text uh, pretty consistently. So I'm going back to it today. We're going to look at it from a different angle. But I love, around the summertime, I love to come to this passage because it reminds me of this biblical principle, the importance of finding solitude or finding rest. So we're going to be in Mark chapter 6, second gospel, Matthew, Mark, six chapters in. That's where we'll be today. But what you need to know about Mark chapter 6 is Jesus is coming to the end of his ministry at the Sea of Galilee. So he's been doing ministry all around Galilee. And at this point in the text, he has already delegated power to the disciples to go and to start preaching the gospel. So now they have the power to go and do ministry, to be effective in what God has them here to do. So now Jesus is on the heels of performing perhaps the greatest miracle that he'll ever perform in all of Scripture. He's going to feed what some theologians say is 20 to 25,000 people. And he's going to feed them with a couple loaves of bread, five loaves, and two fish. 
And I know for you, maybe you're like me, you think, well, I have a loaf of bread, nature's own bread, right there in my cupboard at home or right there in my pantry at home. I could probably squeeze that out with just a, a, a little crumb here or there. Maybe you think that way. But listen, that was not the kind of bread that Jesus was using, all right? And we pulled up to the Sea of Galilee, what, two weeks ago and three weeks ago, and there was a guy that was fishing, and he was cleaning his fish, and I walked over to him to see the size of the fish, and it was like the most gigantic catfish I've ever seen in my life, right? And I literally, I was like, no wonder Jesus laid 5,000 people. <laughs> fish like that, I could too. And I, it was a joke, basically. Um, but the reality is, is, is most theologians believe it was 20,000, 25,000 people because it only has the men that are mentioned. So it wasn't a nature's own loaf of bread. It wasn't two killer wells, you know, that he fed them with. A little boy was carrying the bread and the fish in a basket, right? So it was more like five bowberry biscuits, yeah, some of you like those, um, and maybe a couple catfish, okay? That's what he did this with. Huge, enormous miracle. So this miracle is significant in Scripture. And you're probably wondering, well, what is its significance? It's the only miracle outside of one other miracle that's mentioned in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Well, what is the other miracle that's also mentioned in all four Gospels? And he's by no? It's the resurrection. So if everybody thought that it was important to include the resurrection and they also thought it was important to include this, there's something significant about what Jesus wants us to learn here. This is a big deal. So before Jesus performs that miracle, this is what happens in Mark chapter 6. It says this in verse 30. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and all that they had taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place, and watch this phrase, and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. There's three things I want you to learn about rest today. The first thing I want you to learn about rest is this. Rest is essential for your spiritual vitality. Rest is essential for your spiritual vitality. It says this in verse 30, the apostles, referring to the disciples, returned to Jesus. Now remember, Jesus had sent them out to start preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ to men and women everywhere. And now what they're doing is they're coming back to Jesus and they're debriefing the conversations and the ministry that they had been a part of. And they're doing this with Jesus. And it says, and then he told him all that they had done and taught the disciples told Jesus that. So really what's going on here is the disciples are coming to Jesus they're communing with Jesus. They're debriefing with Jesus. They're having a conversation with Jesus. They didn't come and just vomit their guts out on the table before Christ. No, they actually came to tell Jesus what they were seeing and what they were hearing, what they had done, what they had taught. They were coming and telling Jesus what the world was looking like in the places that they, their feet had treaded upon. So they're talking to him. And, in, and, and also, in another part of this that sometimes we neglect is not only were they talking to him, but they were listening to him. They were getting feedback. They were getting suggestions. They were debriefing the conversation. And you might be wondering, why is this important? It's important because these disciples understood the importance of spending time with Christ. These disciples understood that as we're out there doing the work that God has called us to do, that you have empowered us and entrusted to us to do, there's going to be a time where we need to come back and we need to debrief this with you. It's important because this is where real life change happens. 
Real life change happens when we come back to Christ and we process. And we, 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 remember the word I used? We reflect on some of our failures. We reflect on some of our successes. We reflect on the ministry that we are doing so that God can continue to pour in and refuel our souls. One of the dangers that I have when I come to a text like this is I start to see rest more as therapy. It's therapeutic. And it's not therapeutic. It, it is to some degree. Really what Jesus wants us to see is it's not therapeutic, it's transformational. That if we'll start taking time to come to him, to, com to commune with him, to rest before him, it will transform our hearts. I can only imagine this. The text doesn't tell us this, and this isn't extra biblical, but I can only imagine this. Like if I were to go before Christ, and I were to debrief my conversations in ministry with him, and I were to have this conversation, I can only imagine that there's a couple of other things I'd probably do as well. Things like what? Maybe detox sin. Maybe just spend time before him and confess the sin that I've committed over the past six days. And just detox that out of my body. Maybe purify my heart. You know, I'm sitting here having a conversation with Christ. This will be a great time to really just assess my own spiritual vitality and to share that with him in a place of repentance and purification. I would certainly, if I was spending this time with Christ, refocus my mind. Surely he would tell me, hey, these are the things that are most important and these are the things that are not as important and you're spending a lot of time on these things that are not so important and spending a little time on the things that are most important. We need to get our priorities right, Trey. Surely he would say that if we were having a conversation. Not only refocus our minds, but also recalibrate our soul. I mean, sometimes my soul, just like yours, it craves things that God doesn't want me to have. And it's a good opportunity for God to simply remind me that all you need is in me. I will supply everything that you need and I am all that you have. This is just a moment where we can grow closer to God. It says this in verse 31. They come before Jesus. Jesus says this to them. Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going. That talks about the busyness of their life. And they had no leisure even to eat again. Implying that they've been so busy. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Here's what I find so fascinating about that. Do you recognize that these guys are hungry? They want food. But what's the first provision that God provides for them? It's rest, not food. So in many ways, Jesus looks at rest as one of the most important necessities of their life, even over physical food. He says, come away and rest a while. We're told that the disciples were coming and going. They didn't have even time to eat. And Jesus is showing them, and really us as we read this, that rest is essential for their spiritual vitality. Just like you can't make it without feeding yourself solid food, you can't make it if you don't refuel yourself through seasons of rest. So the first thing that we need to understand this morning is that rest is important for our spiritual vitality. It's essential for our spiritual vitality. The second thing that we need to see about this is not only is it essential for our spiritual vitality, but rest reveals our dependence on God. It really exposes if we are dependent on God, but certainly it reveals our dependence on God. See, resting shows us that God doesn't need us to always work. That there's some things that God can accomplish when we simply do nothing. And there's other things that God accomplishes when we get to work. 
For an example, sometimes we need to water the seed, and other times we need to watch it grow. And one of the things that we have a problem with, especially in the American context, is that we don't, or we put too much emphasis and, and focus on us and the work that we do, and not enough on God and what he does. I'm reminded of the psalmist who said, unless Jesus, unless God builds the church, you and I, we do what? We labor in vain. At the end of the day, we put a lot of stock on what we do. In fact, a lot of congregations put a lot of stock on what their pastoral ministry team does. It's just the nature of the beast. But at the end of the day, nothing grows apart from God doing the work. That's where we should be going, and that's who we should be asking to do a work not only in us, but to do a work through us. It also reminds us that God can manage things just fine without my input. It reveals my dependence on God. It shows me that when I don't do anything, that the world doesn't unravel. When I, doesn't, when, I, when I just sit there for one day and rest and reflect on who God is and what he's, what he's done, it, it reminds me, you know what, Trey, you're not as important as maybe you thought. And for some of us, that's why we don't rest, because we want to be as important as we think we are. But the need for rest is a constant reminder that, we, that, that we're, we're, we're needed and we're wanted by God, but at the same time, we're not needed by, by God. Believe it or not, one thing I love about rest is it shows my limitations. And our limitations are really a gift from God to us. I mean, think about it. If we didn't have any limits, you and I would be one God ourselves, but we wouldn't have any need for God because we have no limits. So our limitations are really a blessing to us. They're a gift from God to us. Limitations keep us from becoming self-reliant. I would become self-reliant if I had no limitations, and so would you. But because we do have limitations, and we do need rest, and we do have those moments where we just hit rock bottom, and we're exhausted, it reminds us of who God is, because he doesn't rest in who we are in reality. It says, they teach us to look to God, not ourselves for strength. Listen to Isaiah chapter 40. It says this, God does not faint or grow weary. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Okay, so, so God's doing the work there. To him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall feel exhausted. But those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. Here, Isaiah is showing us something about what it looks like just to wait, just to rest. You've done the work. It's okay to step back from the work and to let God do the building. Our rest is a daily reminder that we aren't God, and we're fully dependent on him for all things. So we see the first two things. Rest is essential for our spiritual vitality. Second, rest reveals our dependence on God. And the third and final thing this morning that I want you to see is this. Rest leads to effective ministry. Rest leads to effective ministry. Now, you and I, if we have placed our faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ, we're referred to as disciples of Christ. Okay, he's the rabbi, he's the teacher. We go to his word, we learn from him, we apply to our lives, and we start to live the way that he lived, talk the way that we, he taught. We emulate the life that he lives. That's what we are. We're disciples of Christ, those who delight, exceedingly delight in the gospel of Jesus. And then we go and teach other people to do the same. That's what we believe a disciple is here at Eagle's Landing. So what do I mean when I say rest leads to effective ministry? First, we have to understand 
that we're all ministers of the gospel. Not just staff, but we are all, as disciples of Jesus, we are ministers of the gospel. But there's two things that I really want you to see this morning as a result of this text. The first one is this. Rest empowers us to become compassionate towards people. Rest empowers me, it empowers you to be more compassionate towards people. Look at verse 34. It says, when he went ashore, he saw, talking about Jesus, saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them. He was going to a desolate place. He was seeking rest. He gets to the other side of the shore and the Bible says that he saw a great crowd. He had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. Ma'am, sir, one thing that we have to understand about life is a lack of of rest leads to, a, to, to, to an increase of frustration. You know this. When we don't get the proper rest that we actually need, we start to live our lives in an exceedingly frustrated way. Our, our, our tempers become a little bit short. Our patience gets a little bit short. All of a sudden, we become a little bit more snappy, and no comment from my wife, because she'll say, I'm snappy all the time. So we become like that because we lack rest, we're tired, we're fatigued. But also when we lack rest, we become much more susceptible to sin. Most of the sin that wins in our life, it prevails because we lack rest. It's just the reality of the world that we, in which we live. When you're constantly frustrated at the people in your life, when you're constantly frustrated at your spouse, or constantly frustrated at your kids, or constantly frustrated at your boss at work, or constantly frustrated at your coworkers at work, or constantly frustrated at your neighbors, or constantly frustrated at your parents, or constantly frustrated at your friends. You see what I'm doing? When you're constantly frustrated at anyone, it may be because you lack rest. If you don't have proper rest in your life, you will grow exceedingly more frustrated with people. So when there's no grace, when there's no compassion in the way that we minister to other people, there's a high possibility that we're running on fumes. There's a high possibility that the gauge of our life is on empty. There's a high possibility that we need to go before God and rest and reflect on who he is and what he's done so that we can recalibrate our souls, so that we can refocus on the mission and so that we can be refueled by his grace and his love because compassion is really just a fruit of rest. That's all it is. It's a fruit of rest. So rest empowers us to be more compassionate towards people. But secondly, rest yields a growing discernment. Rest, when you rest, it's yielding in you a growing discernment around you. Look at verse 35. It says that when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place and the hour is now late. He just had compassion. He was going to look for rest, going to a desolate place. The crowds beat him to the other side. He has compassion on this crowd of people. He starts ministering to them, and now it's late. And this is what's going on here. So send them away to go into the surrounding countryside. They're telling Jesus to do this in villages and buy themselves something to eat. And this is how Jesus answered. He says, no, you give them something to eat. 
He, he, he rests. What it does in us is it yields a growing discernment. The disciples say, Jesus is late. We found a quiet place. Can you send these people away? Can we just quit already? Can we go and do what we were going to do? We're hungry. We're tired. We're exhausted. We just need to get to where we were going. And Jesus responds, no, I want you to minister to these people right now. Don't overlook this. Jesus is acutely aware of what these people need most. The disciples were focused on their physical needs at this particular moment. And many of us do the same. We even approach rest as purely a physical need. But rest is more than purely a physical need. It's also a spiritual need in our lives. And Jesus here is focused on the spiritual need in their lives. What's my point? One thing about rest is that we gain a growing discernment of people. Let me say it this way. Rest allows you to have something in your life to give the hurting people that God brings into your path. Do you understand that? If you live, which you do, in the world in which we live, that is growing every single day, exponentially, with sin, I mean, you, you guys know this, the, the world's not getting better, it's getting worse, we're, we're inundated with sin, sin is like a cancer, has spread rapidly through the world in which we live, and we got to go out and we got to minister in this context. We got to point people to Jesus in this context. And quite frankly, some of the conversations that we participate in are flat out exhausting. Why? Because the people we're talking to, they, they haven't received the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Lord hasn't removed the scales from their eyes. And we're trying to force something that's simply not going to work. And it just, it, it drives us bananas. It drives us nuts. And as followers of Jesus, we've, we've got now a new way of seeing the world in which we live. It's called a biblical worldview, and your values and the important things in your life are now formed and shaped and fashioned by the Word of God. And the world you live in doesn't do that at all. And you can, you can feel the tension every single day in your life. What rest does is it allows you to give those hurting people something when you have nothing to give. Listen, you're able to discern when maybe your child simply needs a hug and not a stern rebuke. You're able to discern when your wife needs time and not necessarily flowers. You start to grow to discern when your husband needs verbal encouragement and he's not necessarily soliciting more advice. When you rest, the Lord refocuses you and refuels you, and you start to have something to give other people, especially the hurting people in your life. You're able to discern what they really need, not what they think they need. Let me, let me say it this way, and then I'm going to move on. The world around you doesn't need better behaviors. We think they need that. The world around you doesn't need to adjust to your moral code. We think they need that. The world around you needs Jesus. He's a person, and you have him, and it's your job to share that Jesus with them. That's the spiritual need being met, and when they have Jesus, they too adopt the same moral code that he has given you inside of his word. Their worldview begins to change as the Bible begins to shape and to form and to fashion their way of living too. So what Jesus is calling us to do is to grow in discernment, to give the world what they really need. Not necessarily what we always think they need. So how do I want to land the plane here this morning? The question that I want to conclude with is this. How do we refill our tank? Like, how do we rest, practically speaking? Okay? 
If tomorrow's a day that for many of you, you're going to get to rest, or maybe sometime this summer, you're going to start developing a rhythm of rest in your weekly schedule, how do we do this? Like, what does this actually look like? Let me give you a few practical ways you can do it. The first one is this. You need to prioritize quiet time. You need to prioritize quiet time. Now, if you did an assessment of me personally, my wife will tell you this, if you did an assessment of me, you're going to learn that I'm bored with inactivity, okay? Now, the older I get, I think I actually grow because I'd rather just do nothing than something. And then some of you feel that, like you, you can relate. But assessments will tell you that I get bored with inactivity. It's hard for me to just to slow down. And even when I slow down, my mind doesn't slow down. Okay, and some of you are like that as well. You lay in bed and you're just thinking about everything that doesn't matter and you can't sleep. Like, it's hard, but you need to develop and prioritize quiet time in your life. Notice that I did not say, okay, I want you to hear what I did not say. I didn't say create space for quiet time, okay? It's easy for us to create space for it. I'm asking you to prioritize it in your life. So what do we do? If we, if we prioritize quiet time. Okay, Trey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to set aside every morning 30 minutes. What do I do in those 30 minutes? First, just get along with God. Like, get along with God. Don't overcomplicate that. All right? Don't overcomplicate it. Just spend time communing with him. Jesus modeled this for us. The Bible tells us that he would go on a mountain and he would just spend time with God. He would talk to him, he would listen to him, and he would just sit there in the presence of God. In fact, he began his public ministry with 40 days of withdrawal into a wilderness, and he spent that 40 days fasting and praying. He quietly focused on the Father in preparation for public ministry. God gave rest even to the Israelites. Remember, he sent them into the wilderness in their exodus, even from Egypt. I would add that not only do we need to get alone with God, but listen, we need to get alone with God daily. Daily. Prioritize quiet time on a daily basis. You remember the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6, verse 11. Jesus said, give us this day our daily bread. Give us today what we need. Give us the provisions that we need today. I'm coming because it's a daily thing. I didn't ask for tomorrow's. I didn't ask for next week's. I'm just asking for today's bread. It's one day at a time. And when you go before God, spend time with him and do so today. So what we need to do is we, we need to reinstitute a daily time with God. All right. Now, I know this is a lot of questions that feed other questions. So the next question you might be asking yourself is, how do I spend time with God? What does that actually mean? And for some of you, you're thinking, oh, I can just kind of go to sleep here because I already do this or whatever. But, but it's good for you and I to revisit too. This is good for me as well. So hopefully it's good for you. So what do I do in this quiet time, this daily time with God? First, read the Word. Read the Word. Here at Eagles Landing, we've uh, given you a, uh, a Bible reading plan. You can go to the app. You can have access to that. I'm sure we have some physical copies laying around. You can do that. You can just read the Word and just start there and, and read something. But here's the important thing that I want you to hear this morning, and some of you aren't going to like this, but it's okay. Because you are, are, you've matured maybe faster than some others. But here's the reality. Here, here's what I want you to hear. What I've learned in life is it's not how much I read. It's the fact that I'm getting something and applying something from my reading. One of the best summers of my life was when I spent the summer, literally in June and July, 
And all I did is just walk through Proverbs. Proverbs has 31 chapters, so in June I had to read two chapters in one day. And in July, I just read one chapter a day. And I just opened the Bible, read a proverb a day, and it was like, Lord, teach me something today. Let me apply this. And it it was bite-sized for me. And when I did this bite-sized approach, I learned that I'm retaining a little bit more than I would if I was reading, you know, a Bible reading plan. For some of you, just start there. Just open up the book of Proverbs, maybe a psalm or whatever the case may be, and just ask the Lord, hey, I'm coming before you today. Feed me what I need for today. And it'll be interesting to see how the Spirit of God works in your life. So just read the Word. Second, spend time in worship. Spend time in prayer. Spend time in worship and prayer. What does that look like? Again, don't overcomplicate it. If you're driving somewhere and you're alone, turn on worship music. If you're at the beach and you're, you're, you know, the kids are playing, take a radio with you. Turn on worship music. If you're in the shower, take your phone in there and turn on worship music. One of the most therapeutic things for my soul was to come into the office in the morning, and sometimes I'll turn on the TV on, on YouTube, and I'll turn on worship music. I'll find something that day, and I'll just let it play. And my wife and I had this conversation one day about how it just changes the environment. Like when we play music in our house or in my office or wherever the case may be, it's just something sweet kind of enters into the atmosphere. And for some of you, that's a good place to start. Just implement worship and prayer in your life. See, the third thing, plan your day. Plan your day. You're thinking, what in the world are you talking about Plan my day? Well, how is that even spiritual? I've bought this thing called a balance planner, okay? This is actually a balance planner for men. Um, and it's on uh, a website that I could give you the link to. I can't remember off the top of my mind. Uh, but this has been transformational for me. Um, I wanted to start this year journaling more. It's, a, I believe, a spiritual discipline. Uh, Donald Whitney would agree with me. He's a book writer, author of spiritual discipline. So all that to say that um, I, I believe journaling is something that we need to learn, and I wanted to grow in that. I don't naturally do well at that. So I bought a journal, and I've been journaling every single day when I'm here at the office. I, I do that first thing in the morning. It has been a sweet, sweet time for me just to see what God's doing. But what I love about this planner, is, or, or even my journal, because they go coincide, is every day it asks me three specific tasks that I need to accomplish today. In order for me to get to the end of the day and feel like I, I succeeded, like I, the, today worked, um, what three things do you need to get done? So it forces me at the beginning of my day to plan my day out. Now listen, I can plan all day long, but it's the Lord who's going to order my steps. And I've got to know that, that sometimes there's going to be things I just don't get to because the Lord had other plans for me that day. But at the end of the day, I'm going to be okay because I'm trusting the Lord and allowing him to do what he wants to do in and through me. So I just create three tasks I want to accomplish each day, and I preferably consider what things those are, and I implement them. So maybe you can do that too, okay? Prioritize quiet time. Second, prioritize family. Prioritize family, and then I'm going to hush. I'm, I'm, I'm done, basically, okay? We, we developed this uh, Passport to Adventure Best Summer Yet book for you. I know that many of you have it. Use it. I want to encourage you to use it. This is a phenomenal resource. It's full of activities. Your family will love it. And this is uh, designed for you to do, if you don't have a family, if you do have a family, if you're single, whatever the case may be, you can participate in it. Secondly, take a vacation. I know some of you are thinking, man, inflation is high, beach condos are outrageous, I get it, okay? But maybe you can just go for a couple of days somewhere to the mountains or something and just take some time as a family to cut the world off and just focus on building your own relationships together. So prioritize family and three, plan purposefully. Plan purposefully. 
plan a doable schedule that includes serving your family, serving your church, serving your personal responsibilities or taking care of those, and then also getting proper rest. I'm going to end on these two things as a part of planning purposely, okay? In order for you to plan purposely, some of you, you need to purge your screen time. You know what that means? You need to purge it. You need to create borders and boundaries in your home, around your kids, whatever the case may be, where you're not spending all day every day on the phone. Purge your screen time. Listen, listen, I want you to hear this, okay? Here's the thing. I promise you, I promise you, what the world is feeding your kids, their greatest road to the, ki- to the heart of your kids is through social media. It's through your, your kid's cell phone. Purge screen time. Keep an eye on that. Watch over that. Set limits on that. And make that a priority in your life. And second, get proper rest. Man, I would love to see what a church like ours would look like if we all woke up spiritually rejuvenated because we had the rest that we needed before God moved.